I kind of look at posture a lot in this sort of thing. I'm trying to like I'm trying to hit nice shapes. I'm trying to get a get that nice straight line from ankle right through the shoulder, you know, ankle, hip, shoulder, being in that straight line. Get the get the players comfortable with, with feeling those positions. And a lot of the time, it takes them a long time to really trust that their body is in the right position. You know, you sh- if it, if I was shown a video back, I'd say, do you feel like you're you're hitting that straight line there? They'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah and show them the video of their of their completely folded at the hip. So getting them used to that bit of proper perception, how they're interacting with the ground. You know, I want them to really feel their foot on the ground and where their hip is, especially when that foot hits the ground. So I do a lot of hip hip focus work, even in the warm-up. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Fair Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Jared O'Donnell. He's currently the Athletics Ireland Coach and Education Manager and our key topic for today's chat, we're all about how to unleash your speed demon, some secrets around improving your acceleration and top speed so make sure to stick around the athletes tuning in parents of young athletes and of course high performance staff thank you for jumping on jared really appreciate it mate looking forward to this chat yeah no worries jack looking forward to it too for those that aren't aware of your work mate do you mind providing a background of i guess how you started in the industry and and yeah some different job experiences you've done over over the years yeah i suppose i'm in sport all my life i joined my local athletics club when i was six years of age and I'm still competing in athletics um, to this date competitively and obviously coaching as well. But that's when my sport journey started. Probably like anybody did it, did all sports through teenagers, through school, soccer, basketball, Gaelic football here in Ireland. So a bit of everything, but uh, track and field athletics was my main one. So sprints and hurdles are where I, I kind of fall now and mostly. And then in terms of kind of the work side of things, mid-20s trying to decide what I would do in terms of I was working in the gym, I was studying, obviously I'd done sports management. Then I studied neuromuscular therapy. So I was working as a kind of a soft tissue therapist for a few years, went back, did a master's in coaching science, and then got a job as a, a development officer with Athletics Ireland. And then I suppose probably the last maybe six, seven years through the soft tissue therapy work, I started working in, in the SNC kind of role as well, because I was having guys coming to me, treating them, their coaches were saying they're, they've got a niggle again, back into me to treat again. And they're like, giving them bits of rehab here and there. And Eventually, a few of the guys were just like, will you just take over their, their S&C altogether? And I wasn't necessarily qualified at that stage, but I suppose learned with the, got straight in at the deep end and learned on the job. But uh, that's where my S&C side of things kind of started. And as with, with endurance athletes mainly back then, that's not my area of expertise at all. And then I suppose a couple of teams here and there started looking for bits and pieces in terms of speed work and training in around Dublin. And I started coaching, I suppose, more formally with the group that I coach here in Dublin. Dublin Sprint, we're called. Myself and two co-coaches, Jeremy Lyons and Adrian Sinnott there. And we were two Olympians in Tokyo in the final and the mixed four before realists. I suppose that's a kind of the pinnacle we reached. But I suppose when you get that bit of success, whatever success is in sport, uh, you have other people coming looking and reaching out to you and looking for a bit of your work. So I was in with a couple of different teams across sports. So rugby, Gaelic football, soccer, variation, age groups, and from grassroots right up to elite, I suppose, across all sports. But a mixed bag, bit of everything, but uh, yeah, it's good, interesting, and uh, challenging always. Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Some great experiences there. Who, who have been some strong influences or mentors, if you like, that have helped shape your philosophy along the way? 
Yeah, I suppose Jeremy that I that I coach with, uh, he coached me for years as well. It's also a guy named Dan Moore who, who works here in one of the, the top rugby schools in the country. He's an SNC coach, would have been my SNC coach, and I picked up a lot from him in terms of my you know, kind of ethos and philosophy towards gym work, rehab, strength and power. And then probably a lot of the other guys that you've had, JB Moore in on the podcast link here before, the guys you see online, Twitter. Twitter has been my friend a lot in terms of coaching for a long time. The guys over in Altus, CEO Dan Paff, especially. Jonas Dudu, who would have studied under Dan leading up to the 2012 Olympics. Those kind of guys would, would have probably shaped a lot of my thoughts around, or you know, a lot of the stuff I kind of was struggling to come to conclusions over, spending a lot of time working on myself. And then I click on Twitter the next day and I see these guys have it up there in, in a much nicer format. And I'm like, okay, why didn't I just do this in the first place? But you know, going the long way around to get to conclusions that these guys have solved the problems of 20 years ago. But then suppose that's just the, the life of a young coach. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the journey that we're all on, for sure. Yeah, some, some big names there. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, it's important to find someone early on, I guess, in your career. And then when you don't have access to them in terms of live, we're using things like Twitter. Have you, is that something that rec- was recommended to you? Is something that sort of happened organically? Have you sort of gone about not only using social media to, to upskill yourself, but also reaching out and fostering a relationship with? Happened organically. I kind of have been on it for since the start too much all day every day like I suppose a lot of us but yeah I would use Twitter a lot and it's a little bit of Instagram as well I'm not a huge fan of Instagram but it's kind of a necessary evil I think but I suppose I kind of followed and led through my masters a coaching science masters I suppose I started to do a little bit more of my own kind of deep dives through the, the journals and the, the the articles on this sort of stuff and up regularly you see the guys like like JB and the guys that he share and that he trusts and works in I kind of follow a lot of his philosophies, or we our philosophies align a lot. Like mistake myself and JB Warren, in terms of acceleration and resisted work and things like that. So you kind of look to who these guys look to, you know, and you branch off that kind of way. What about some highlights right, that you've sort of spring front of mind? You've mentioned a couple already. Yeah, moment mm-hmm. you've sort of been proud of for your career. Yeah, yeah. On the track as well. Yeah, I was actually lucky enough to get to Tokyo as well for the Olympics. I was working with the the Irish Federation as their media liaison for, for track and field. So I, I actually got to go there for one of the lucky few. So then when I had two athletes in the mix four before relay, they qualified for the final. So kind of walk into the stadium to see a couple of your athletes in the Olympic final was, was a pretty special occasion. And I think like if it was the year before when it was supposed to happen, there was likelihood that one of them wouldn't have qualified for sure and the other one maybe not. So, you know, the, the postponement due to COVID, when it was obviously not good for any of us, it just happened to be lucky for those guys so that was definitely a highlight for me yeah there's been a few this was on the on the field sports side of things then i worked with with leicester rugby here for the under 20 academy here for a stint during kind of that 2021 season as well and a lot of those guys went on to be part of the irish under 20 team that won the grand slam at the six nations over here and just you know they were just really good guys to work with as well it was nice to to see success for those guys, obviously on a, on a completely different field of sport. Absolutely. And on the flip side, mate, some moments where you've had great growth periods and perhaps challenging times of your career. Obviously, working in hub sport comes pressure. There would have been some sort of situations that you've sort of learned a lot. Yeah, I suppose a lot of them are kind of around different injury scenarios and then maybe around selection decisions for relays with some of our guys because, you know, when for athletes that are kind of right at the top but not quite there, Sometimes the relay is the option to get to, to the major championships when they happen at the individual time themselves. And then you've got to rely on the, the selector to actually pick you in the first place. So overcoming some of the, you know, the, the relationship issues that are not issues, but couple of those at least deal with those those selections and get over it and still strive to be their best. Uh, it can be challenging because you can only do your best and then somebody else has the decision to 
fix some other guy who's faster than you at the end of the day. Uh, and then I suppose on the injury side of things, yeah, it's just it's a, it's a constant battle in track and field, especially because you're you're trying to get, especially this time of year, it's our summer season, trying to get as close to that red line as possible to get the performance out. But you know, with that comes the risk. And I suppose myself with the the background in, in soft tissue therapy and a bit of S and C, I'm kind of trying to push all those things out a little bit more and see if you can get people back quicker when those things do pop up as well. But ideally, go by the the do no harm mantra, so it never occurs in the first place. Moving into the key topic, mate, what are some key components for acceleration in, in team sport athletes? I know a lot of the people tuning in will be coming from that background. So, yeah, how does it sort of, what are sort of the key areas of focus when you're working with a team-based athlete in acceleration? Yeah, I think when I come in for a team in the first place, I, I always try to get across the point that what I'm there to do is to teach a skill. So acceleration is a skill. It's not there, I'm not there to, to leave them out of breath or leave them puking on the side of the pitch at the end of the session to try to get, a, you know, field sports players to not jog back between exercises or between drills is the hardest part of love to have them. Like, guys, just walk back, you know, do this 10 meter exercise, walk back, chill out, relax. We've got it out, we heard it. Let's not, let's not overdo it. So I suppose a lot of the time, I, I, I do kind of, in general, put a, a constraint on my time with those teams and say, look, I, I, I'd like an hour of, of specific acceleration, speed work here with these guys. So we don't have to rush anything and, and put them out of breath. But in terms of like acceleration being a scale, you know, in, in Australian football, I just had a quick look yesterday, a couple of papers, GPS data, like it's, you're talking 200 to 300 accelerations in a game where you're getting above, you know, four kilometers an hour within a second or whatever it might be. If you can do that a little tiny bit better, you're doing something better 200 times. I'm kind of saying, I always say to the game of football guys here, the rugby guys, like it's a little bit less in rugby, but obviously those accelerations are, are a little bit more aggressive or more impactful maybe. But in Gaelic football, it's up around 200 as well. What I'm saying how often would you work on your hand passing in a week or um, how many shooting drills would you do? How many, you know, in rugby, if it's passing, how often do you work on that? And then it's, to say, maybe twice, three times we do some drills here and there every session. I'm like, and how often do you work on your acceleration? And it's kind of like head scratches. I'm kind of going, well, guys, you're going to do something 200 times, you know, two or three of these things every minute. Could be better at it. Let's be better at it. You know, the, yeah. the output from that, the output from that for me is a no-brainer. Maybe they're thinking something different, but I just think that's a complete, it's a, it's a, there's just little wins there to be had all the way through the game. And I suppose I always try and get across the point of, or I don't know if I, I made this up myself, I heard Stu McMillan, who's, who's over now, his sprint coach, had mentioned, or was on a different podcast and he was talking about, you know, effectiveness versus efficiency. And when I listened to it, I was like, oh, he's come to the same conclusion as himself, but he had got a completely different direction with it. But so anyway, I go with effective, effectiveness and efficiency for these guys. You know, let's be efficient in our acceleration, use as little energy as we can. And let's be as effective in each acceleration as we can. If we kind of tick those two boxes or at least one of them at a time, then we're, we're getting better as players. And the, I guess from the efficiency point of view, are there your fa- mm. favorite drills, if you like, that you like to do to acceleration and specifically, I guess, your first three steps for a football? Mm, I kind of look at posture a lot and this sort of thing. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to hit nice shapes. I'm trying to get a, get that nice straight line from ankle right through the shoulder, you know, ankle, hip, shoulder, being in that straight line, get the, get the players comfortable with feeling those positions. And a lot of the time it takes them a long time to really trust that their body is in the right position. You know, you sh- if, it, if I was showing them a video back and say, do you feel like you're, you're hitting that straight line there? They'd be like, yeah, yeah, and show them the video and they're, they're completely folded at the hip. So getting them used to that bit of proprioception, how they're interacting with the ground. You know, I want them to really feel their foot on the ground and where their hip is, especially when that foot hits the ground. So I do a lot of hip, hip focus work even in the warm-up, 
So like the sessions that I'll do in general, the first few couple of weeks will be very, very acceleration heavy, but it'll literally be the last 10 minutes where they'll actually be moving anyway fast. It'll bring everything right back down, slow drills, walking drills, heavy resisted walks, everything right down so that they can get used to how their body moves, feel those positions without having to force them through, through the through the air and through speed and lose all that coordination again. One of the YouTube listeners has just sent in Oliver Williams. How many speed focus sessions a week is recommended? How much of an impact does it work in the gym affect sprint speed and acceleration? I suppose how much do you have time for? You know, <laughs> twice a week. Ideally, if you can, I, what I would always say with team sports is try and sprinkle a little bit in pretty often. Obviously, you want like any other kind of high intensity work that's going to maybe cause a bit of tissue damage or, you know, that needs time to recover and repair. Not in terms of injuries, obviously, just in terms of, of work. You want that kind of 72 hour window or maybe or 48 hours at, at worst. We kind of go up the same either so the track we wouldn't do. We'd rarely do two track sessions back to back. It'd be 48 hours before any intense stuff and the same. After big gym days, trying to leave that 48 hours before we hit the track again. So like if it was twice a week, but, you know, a certain number of reps, uh, it depends. You just need to really hit that high speed if you are working on max velocity and it is acceleration. I'd probably err on a set of caution and do less, but I'd really, really like to be done it done well. You know, there's literally no point in doing it at all if it's not be done well. You see their teams and guys going out there and doing, you know, twenty, thirty reps of accelerations, but it's like the gym, you don't you just don't add load onto poor technique. So it's the same in acceleration. You don't add volume onto to inefficiency. Let's just be really efficient and effective first and then we can add on the volume and, you know, really reinforce those good movement patterns. And there's the t- second part the, the gym. Sorry, the gym yeah. part then like when I go into these teams where like these guys are, are are animals, like, you know, even the kids, like some of the, like I mentioned, Dan Moore, he works in a, he's a SNC coach for a really high level rugby school here. I call it rugby school. It's a private school, but rugby is what it's for. They're a pathway into Leinster, into Ireland. Like he's at any one time in the Irish senior team, those guys that he, three or four guys that he has coached his kids. So these guys are strong, powerful. Like I don't need to do anything really in that sense, except for trying to harness that strength and power that they already have open up the hips, let them use their hips a little bit more, you know, the, the posterior chain, get those glutes actually working, open up the hip flexors a little bit for range of motion wise. And I'll be able to spot that like my warm up is, you know, I do a general, a very general warm up, which takes 10 to 15 minutes and I'll be able to spot straight away where there's tight and stiff uh, through the way they're moving. And in terms of mobility, like you mentioned sort of 10, 15 minutes where you're doing mobility drills, what about outside of training from a recovery point of view or flexibility point of view, do you like athletes doing static stretching to improve their, I guess, passive length of the muscle tissues of hamstrings and hip flexors? Or is it more using the range and doing it in the gym with load and then also doing it in drilling and doing a more dynamic mobility, I guess? Yeah, I've probably experimented on myself a lot over the years, this kind of stuff. Uh, as a high hurdler, you know, the, the hurdles are three foot six metres six centimeters so I, looking for flexibility was always something i was about and i used to do a lot of kind of static stretching say pulse sessions before or a couple of days out from big sessions so i wasn't having too much of an effect or doing some kind of distraction work at the hip you'll put a heavy green band pulling the, the leg down so it's distracting from the hip socket to try and get that but at the end of the day i still picked up the same hamstring niggles that i was getting so i was kind of like maybe this wasn't as effective as i thought and i do think kind of like a bit of eccentric loading with heavy heavy loads in the gym for the kind of hamstring kind of area or the low back, just those kind of things are, are really, really effective. I do like to get that bit of mobility through through gym work or else just through a little bit of kind of passive or low level mobility work at home, not necessarily lying down and holding for 60, 90 seconds. A little bit of that as well for certain areas around the hips, uh, 
say like your pigeon pose stretches, things like that, where you can just plot down in front of the TV and just get a nice like low level four out of ten, sit for 90, 90 seconds, take a break, switch over. I do like that kind of stuff, but sometimes I know when I recommend a little bit of that stuff to athletes or players, they tend to stay in athlete and player mode and try and be the best at stretching and try and get to that, you know, 11 out of 10 and let's see if I can hold this and I'll grip my teeth and sweat. Well, you know, that's not the goal of the exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And actually probably a good segue for the next one. Are there common misconceptions when it comes to developing acceleration and top speed football that you'd like to debunk? Yeah, I think I've probably touched on a little bit already. Like you don't need the huge volume, I think. We don't need the, the 20, 30, 40 reps of this stuff. Definitely not like at that full acceleration. Like It's like anything. You don't just go and run 100 metres to get better at the 100 metres. You have to break it down into its parts. So you need to identify what you're looking for first. Like For me, it's, it's that posture side of things and that, that, that effective and efficiency. And then it's about just layering on top of that the volume. So it might be by doing slower stuff, doing resistant work, and then eventually like dropping that resistance down, down, down to the point where we're moving from a standing start, from a three-point start. We're trying to get them to be more aggressive and explosive. It's slowing that all that right down in the drills as well so that the, the players are comfortable with their, their structural tissue taking out of the load. So say like doing a, a sprint walk or an A walk, the listeners might be familiar with so might be familiar with, with A skips especially. I think 70 different types of A skip. I couldn't tell you which one anybody uses at any one time, but it's getting to that A position, so knee up in front kind of ankle dangling below the knee and, and foot dorsiflex but doing that in a walking pattern and slowing it right down so it's so funny to see the challenges that people have just standing on one leg uh, especially maybe players who are on soft pitches or, or hard pitches all the time in boots I, I like to get them out of the comfort zone and if I can the coaches are, are kind enough or, or buy in enough to get them down to the track and it gets to a completely different, different surface completely different environment get them into runners rather than boots you know, a decent pair of trainers uh, sometimes some of the guys have actually got, got spikes for the athletes so you get the chance to get them moving a little bit faster than they will be on the pitch but again we're getting them onto a track and we're telling them to walk and walk really slow and they're drilling they're like what's the point in being here we're doing this and I was like yeah but it's, gonna, it's really going to help I can see them you know the, the instability at the ankle straight away pops up so I don't know if that answered that question but I think I do think that let's do loads of this and we'll get better at it let's do let's do very few and let's do them really really well yeah and even learn how to walk I guess before you you're on the cliche out. yeah 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 i love that. that that's great and from uh i guess for those that are trying to improve their top speed we've, we've talked about acceleration and the, and the importance of that typical sort of session look like you mentioned acceleration sessions when you can you try and let the ball club give you an hour so you could properly do the warm-up properly break down the drilling and and then work on those postures and have adequate rest, rest periods is top speed similar an hour long duration is it less is it more micro dosing across the week yeah talk us about your philosophy so when i'm working on a team i like to get that acceleration kind of nailed down for a couple of weeks so I'm comfortable with their, that they're moving better at least. It's not necessary. I'm not, I don't have speed gets out to check that they're moving any faster. I just, I'm happy with the shapes they're hitting there are improved. And then I'll start to sprinkle a little bit of that max V top end speed stuff in at the end of that session because uh, I'll have a little bit less or more time and I have less coaching to do in terms of, you know, interrupting the session to, to give pointers and feedback. So I'll start to sprinkle it in there because we won't have done a huge amount of actual high intensity work we will have done a good bit of loading around the hip, but they'll also be very, very switched on and, and aware of how they're interacting with the ground from that acceleration or the resisted work that it kind of feeds nicely in. And then in terms of if it's just kind of max V focused, it can be a little bit shorter. So like if I'm popping in with a team on the pitch and I have a little bit less time, I'll just, I'll say, look, you can get them generally warmed up there, whatever sort of warm up you take for, for footy or for rugby or whatever it is, you know, 
a warm-up's a warm-up in general. Like we're going to be switching on the right muscles anyway, preparing for a bit of intensity. I probably will still come in and do a little bit of my own kind of drills and stuff or maybe a little bit of specific kind of hip mobility stuff uh, before we start. But then to use the, the, the wickets or the mini hurdles, you know, the, the small little kind of banana hurdles, there's many different names for them, but I use them a lot with, with, uh, with guys on the pitch for hitting those top speed or max speed positions. As a, as a team sports coach, they're magic because once you kind of figure out what you're looking for and you know your spacings and you know how to cue them, then they do their hurdles do all the work for you. Like the guys have to run through the hurdle and that's it. And if you can give them a tiny bit of feedback on it, they'll do it so much better. And you try and get them to to hold the shapes that you're seeing on the hurdle for a little bit of time off the hurdle as well. But all of a sudden they're in really nice positions. So it's kind of a you know if you set up a you know a fly a fly twenty or a fly thirty or a fly ten, I just ask them to run through all the time and you try to change or fix or improve ten different t- things at once. There's an awful lot of feedback you have to give every athlete or every player. If you've got 30, 40 guys out on the pitch and you put out two, three lines of wickets, let them run through. They'll figure it out very, very quickly. First rep they do, you go back and you how'd that feel? And they're kind of a bit of quiet. I was like, did you feel like an idiot? They're like, yes. I was like, yeah, because you did something a bit different to your run. Yes, you ran really well there. The thing you'll, you'll spot straight away is guys leaning back, leaning back to lift their knees. Because they're not used to it. They're used to you know kicking out the backside, swinging the foot through. Can't do that when the hurdle is in the way because you'll kick it up into the air. So. They do have to get that foot out in front, high foot in front. Good front set and side mechanics gives them that space to attack down into the pitch. And again, like I said, the posture is just about maintaining that hip height all the way through. Six foot or six foot one in the air, you can get that foot down fully underneath your hip with a straight leg rather than having to land it out in front of you and put the brakes on. Good. Yeah, and you mentioned doing that with a large group. And so two to three lines, obviously you're getting a good amount of rest periods with those ratios. How, how do you sort of... Do you have do you have them in height or leg? Like how do you sort of break up the groups to know so you have to keep changing the wickets around from the practical point of view? With the guys we have in the tracks, so we kind of figured out a little bit. One of the guys that we coach, Killian Green, he ran the first leg and then mixed four before relay, and he, he was actually the fastest first leg runner across the whole competition that day. Uh, so he kind of pulled it out of the bag, but he had a lot of kind of not even injuries, but he had a bit of a hamstring tightness and an issue that we would try and really nail his speed. Like he's a very very fast guy. Like he ran 45 one split for the relay that day. People that know track and field, it's pretty good. <laughs> so, and he's also, he's a speed based guy. So, he, he, he would probably run just sub 21 seconds for the 200 meters, things like that. So, he's, he's got wheels, but when he went to open them up, he would just get a little bit caught through that hamstring. So, we just got him on the wickets on the mini hurdles uh, to do like, you know, he'd be running over 20 of them. Uh, he'd be doing 90 meters with a 20, 30 meter roll and then a 20, 30 meter roll out but keeping them tight and restricted and it just really forces that tight turnover and that those good postures. It's a really, really safe way to hit. Like he'd be hitting well over 10 meters per second there on those wickets. And so he's getting that stimulus without the real risk of, of casting or reaching out in front and put too much pressure on that the eccentric swing phase of that hamstring. Same with the guys on the pitch. In general, I would tend to err on the side of being the space being too small rather than too long. You don't want to see them bounding or jumping through. So I'd set up a couple of lines. I definitely have one difference, uh, or sorry, one one line that's a little bit shorter than the others. And yeah, that might be if if anybody wants to jump into it this evening or today out there. I'd kind of start at like five and a half pigeon steps on my feet, like toe to heel, five and a half. Put two or three of them at that, two or three of them at six, maybe two or three of them at six and a half, or even smaller, like six and a quarter, and then go out to six and a half. But you're talking running over like maybe between eight and twelve of the, of the hurdles, twenty meter run into it, so they can kind of sight that first hurdle. The most important part for me that is that that section after the last hurdle that they're not just stopping and collapsing. That we do have 
a set marker down at the end, maybe 20 meters past. Then when they come off that hurdle in that nice, tall, hip high position, that they can repeat that stride pattern all the way to the end. And then they can sink and relax, whatever. But it just kind of reinforces that while the hurdle's out in there. Yeah. And for those that try to make technical change, that, I mean, it makes sense to have that 20, 30 meters without the hurdle. So they continue that on. And then do you sort of eventually just finish the session where they're just running straight 90s without the hurdles to be able to transfer into strength? Yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, pretty much. So I'd, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't give them that sort of distance at all. And I learned that pretty, pretty quickly from the rugby guys who were like, you know, they're, they were borderline professional athletes at that stage. And, and some of them were very fast. They're obviously very strong. But like I kind of just rocked in. I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll do some fly 20s at the end of the session here today. Put in a 20 meter segment, get 20 in, 20 fast, 20 out, kind of all 20 meters. So probably getting about 12 meters. So I brought it into 15. I think the first day I was kind of like, right, this is a bit of an eye opener because on the track, general a general you know, fly session will be 30, 30, 30. So you have that 30 meter acceleration, you have 30 meters of max V, and then you have 30 where you're just, you're not decelerating, but you're, you're cruising. But all of a sudden, I was like, oh, all right, 20, 20 is not enough here. We need to go back to probably 10, 10, 12, 15 is, is all they can manage here. They can, they're hitting shapes that I like, but only for three, four steps, not being used to the posture, holding that hip in that position, and that's them down. But as we went on there through the weeks, we could push that out to 20. So definitely, definitely start short, start with 10s, 20 roll in, a 10 fly, and a, a 10 or 15 or 20 roll out as well. But I always try and but I do bleed that into the end of those acceleration sessions. Like, right, look, we're, we're tired, end of the session. No, we're not that tired, but end of the session, we've been in neuro fatigue, definitely. Mm. Brains have been working. Let's just be really relaxed here. It's just nice, tall. Let's run the positions we were running in across the wickets. Nice, tall, smooth, and relaxed through these. We're not, not 90%. I was like, you know, don't speak gets out here, guys. Nobody's watching. We're just going to be really smooth and tall through this. And that's when they run fast. They switch off, they relax themselves. They're a bit more fluid. Or I say, if there's a stand or whatever nearby, I'm like, look, over that stand there is full of 20,000 people. All I want you to think is that they're looking at you going, geez, he runs really well. That's it. Not saying that he's stressed or he's got tension through his neck or he's flying it. That guy, that guy runs really well. I literally like how he's running. Yeah, I love it. Good visual. And the, when, you, when you said the athletes were breaking down, the rugby athletes around that 15, 20 metres, is that through coaching eye you could sort of just see straight away? Was that video analysis that you like to use? Like, talk us through how you picked that up. Yeah, I, I, I'd probably I would pick it up through with the eye. I'd be kind of there'd be certain things I'd be looking for. It'd be that kind of the front side mechanics, I suppose, mainly looking for that foot height in front. See that do they have space for that foot to to get back down underneath themselves rather than you know clawing back or swinging through really low and having to claw back into the route. Are they punching that knee through nice and high and giving them the space to to operate underneath their hip? Uh, I would do. I would take a lot of video stuff as well. It's it's nice for things things you missed it, especially when you're working through a lot of athletes, to be able to give them feedback. You saw it off with every one of them and you're like, okay, which which one did I see which with and then kind of throw them in the same case and the same shorts and the same boots. So you've got to I know with some of the guys with the the Leinster guys, I was literally their boots was out there recognizing we were training at eight AM in the winter. They were wearing woolly hats, jackets, scarves nearly. So there was very little identifiable features. You're going, the pink boots, right? Let me look at the other video of the pink boots. Okay, yeah, that's the same guy in uh, previous weeks. But yeah, I, I would tend to trust my old eye for, for a lot of the, the Max V stuff, especially I, I can see it pretty easily. Uh, some of the acceleration stuff can be a little bit more tricky. You're trying to see kind of step length or, you know, it's, it's kind of contact times. Not that we're measuring that, but you can see it a lot easier by get, getting a bit of footage and breaking it down. Has a Mills on YouTube, how can I enhance my athletic 
on-field performance for AFL quite broad for you, Jared. But I guess from an athletic point of view, my next question to sort of tie into that, like what are your favourite for those that are lacking the, the stiffness and the power aspect and they're technically very proficient but they need that athleticism. What are your favourite sort of exercises, if you like, in the gym to improve acceleration in spring? Yeah, so I suppose like the, the general strength and power work is obviously going to help like and getting strong, getting strong for the hip too. Some some heavy max lifts, and uh, proving that general strength is obviously going to help get guys strong within reason. There's a certain level of strength you need just to be able to perform for the body to be robust enough to, to hold those shapes and positions. And then general power stuff too, like whether it be you know if they're an experienced athlete and they're doing you know power cleans or Olympic lifts or uh, whether it's some just resisted jumps, weighted jumps, things like that. Your standard plyometrics, and I think something that I'm not sure is is utilized enough that I use an awful lot is the medicine ball. I would I generally bring a boot full of medicine balls to to all of those sessions that I do in terms of acceleration. It, I, it's, it's part of my warm up. Like if I showed you the session, I, I kind of throw it up when I'm doing some presentation. That I don't know, it's just a very crude Excel file, but you know if it's if it's uh, 30 cells, probably 25 of them are are what I would deem the warm up, and then the last five are literally a couple of accelerations. But there's medicine ball and plyo work in there as a as a huge component of that. And I do think the medicine ball can be used. Rather than maybe it was seen as kind of an archaic tool for conditioning still, it's a very useful power tool Like that you can be really, really precise on what you're trying to do with it. You can get into very exacting positions. And for the guys, say, on the pitch, put them into an acceleration position, you know, a staggered stance, getting that. What I try and always tell the guys is to get them comfortable in that staggered position is, you know, toe the line, split the feet slightly, you know, get that knee or the front leg over the toe, get the chest over the knee. So we've got chest, then knee, then toe. Are kind of where that's our, our alignment. Red ball in their hands, and we, we do an acceleration in that position. It's just a nice way of overloading that that position, and also gets them really uncomfortable in that shape. And you know, for for guys on the field, they're going to be going to be trying to accelerate from all kinds of positions. Like it's it's not a straight line, simple get into the blocks like what I do on the track. I know what I'm doing every time. They're going to be trying to accelerate from all sorts of strange and, and weird scenarios. So let's get them really good at being uncomfortable first of all. And they're getting out of those uncomfortable positions with a, with a really nice acceleration. Plyos, mid-ball stuff on the pitch. You know, get them done prior to do, those acceleration sessions, those back speed sessions. For for acceleration, we're looking for kind of horizontal stuff uh, in terms of our plyos. And for our, our max V, a little bit more vertical. So whether that be, you know, say like a drop off a box with the mid-ball into a vertical throw, get a nice extension through, through the joints, the limbs, or, you know, that loaded acceleration position or, uh, maybe some bounding or some some skipping for for speed or distance, different things like that where we're interacting with the with the pitcher with the ground a little bit differently. And hopefully that helps answer your query about improving on field performance. Hazard at Oliver's written in. Where can we find some examples of great sprint posture and examples of poor form from you know, that goes from I guess that five to ten meter fly that you were talking about? There's a really nice video. I'm not sh- sure where it originated. Maybe it was, it was Ken Clark. It's a guy you can Google her. There's a there's a video of uh, two guys on a treadmill. One of them's the the team sport athlete, and one of them is the high level sprinter. It's kind of shot in in a real sl- hyper slow mo, maybe black and white. But you've probably seen it yourself and, and didn't realize what it was. Maybe you're, or you might be familiar with it. But it just shows the mechanics, the difference in mechanics of of a really high level sprinter versus a high level. I think it was a soccer player in the states. Maybe you can just see that the backside mechanics are so dominant on the, on the soccer player in there. They're kicking their backside with their toe pointing up in the air and it's swinging through really low, whereas the sprinter has that more right posture, 
the knee comes up much further in front. Everything is kind of kept to to the front side. Once the once the thigh reaches the the, the vertical position at the under the hip, it, it punches right through again. So I'm not sure what you'd Google for that. Maybe if you just pop in team sport versus sprint video there's something like that on, on Google you might get it but it's fairly it's fairly out there and it's a really nice one just to show the, the difference in those and then also in terms of like if you want to see good sprint postures Altus uh, in the States A-L-T-I-S they're kind of a, a high level sprints group but also an educational platform now you can pop onto their Twitter or Instagram you'll see uh, some really nice examples of kinograms so kinograms are just screenshots basically of different sprint positions uh, frame by frame and broken down and they show that the really nice postures there for you as well. Very good. Yeah, well, I'll do some digging around and, and try and find that video. That's a great comparison. So I'll find yeah. it and add it to the show notes for those listening in. F- final question before we sort of start to wrap it up, Jared, and then feel free to anything we haven't discussed on this topic to bring in. But I guess for the high-performance staff and strength and conditioning coaches, I know you've helped consult that are working with rugby or soccer or AFL. What are some sort of common tips that you sort of provide when preparing to run a main warm-up with an acceleration focus or a top speed element that you felt from a coach's perspective? I suppose I mentioned a lot of it already is that the mobility part, the start, I like to see how these guys move. As on the side, we'll do a little bit of tease and work through that. So we'll drop the elbow down to the floor, try to rotate away and you'll just see like, I know when I start the season with the track and field guys, they'll be kind of similar position. That elbow won't get anywhere near, won't get down towards the ankle. But there's probably get three or four weeks in where, where elbows touching the, touching the ground and got that movement through the spine. Uh, but it's also, it's real kind of adductor stiffness and tightness that, that is highlighting. So you'll have guys who are literally, the back is, they're, they're in that neutral uh, lunge position. I tell them to rotate their, to their left shoulder down towards the floor and they literally kind of cast for the neutral. So in a couple of weeks' time, we might see just that little bit of movement there that they have open up that little bit to the hips. It's probably something that's not really focused on very much as well is the role of adductors in acceleration. So if you are kind of a, a backroom staff or a sports science guy or the SNC or the physio, adductors play a huge role. So I do like even just to throw in some, some sort of side lunge or some sort of activation around those adductors in that warm-up because very, very often you'll see guys who start back into, even at the track side of things, they'll start back into some acceleration work. They'll be thinking, oh, better get my heavies ready here because we're going to move pretty quickly. And all of a sudden, it's the next day, yeah, my groins are really tight today. It's like, yeah, you didn't do any work on your adductors in that warm-up at all. I could see I was watching you. So I think it is something that's kind of underrated. And then that med ball work really feeds into that because we, we get those muscles switched on really well by overloading without even have to think about it. So... I suppose in terms of like, I don't know if if we, we get a chance to talk about this, but what I really focus on a lot is you know, slowing that thing down using using heavy bands for the resisted work. So if you're a practitioner and you're looking for you know the quick fix, you don't need to get the heavy sled out and try and rotate 30 guys through three sleds or whatever you might be. You get you get 15, 15 heavy green bands. I don't know if you, you use those. You probably use those in the gym all the time over there as well. You know, the yeah. green bands, I think they're like 35 to 55 kilos or whatever they're they're sold as but you know the cost over here the cost 15 euro maybe 20 euro you get 15 of them and then you've got 30 guys in pairs happy days you're way to go you've got a heavy sled there straight away so mm. i start them off with, with full resistance say the guy at the back your job is to get pretty much full resistance let them move obviously but the guy in front can get into his, his titanic pose and lean forward without worrying about falling over you get into really nice acceleration positions and he can trust that he's going he's going over all he can focus on it's, I always say it as well, it's, it's the one time during a session where you can literally focus on one step at a time. 
you can do one step, do it really well, pause, do the next step. The guy at the back is is your mate. He's he's you're trusting that he's gonna not let your nose hit the deck. And so you do a rep, you swap over, you do a rep, swap over, you do three or four of them, and it only takes you know, eight minutes, five minutes, you're done. You've got four heavy sled work, heavy sled walks done there straight away. So I think not to be too caught up in, in equipment or spending money on this sort of thing, come up with solutions like that, which are, are super effective. I don't even, even with the guys in the track now, we haven't taken out the sleds for that kind of stuff in a long time because it's just so much quicker and so much more. Situations, would you, you would sort of attach the power band around the neck in a harness position like you get in that sled position? And, and what situations would you have it in the typical position or I've been most exposed to and uh, I've seen the most of which is around the hips with the partner and you're doing your, your A skips and your, I guess your posture is much more upright. Yeah, yeah. Which one do you it's prefer? And- I, I tend to go with the hip all the time. Yeah, I tend to use the hip. But then like if we do get the sled out, it's it, there generally can be chest harnesses for those. So mm-hmm. it, it depends on, it It really does depend on the player or the athlete as well. Some people are very much kind of hip focused. So the, the back will arch and the shoulders will pop back. You may need to resist them from the chest or from the from the shoulders just to force them into that position. And then as well as that, some of those guys might just need to go on a prowler instead. They need to push rather than pull because you know, the torso is, is just wanting to do too much or, or get, into, get into ineffective positions. So it is a bit of trial and error. But with the green bands, I'll just lash them around the hips. And the main thing that you'll see straight away is guys put them on their up around their belly button. So I'm like, what, what muscles are working opposite your belly button? It's like your, your spinal erectors, which we don't want to be working at all here in terms of this. We want to get that band right down the hip flexors. Opposite our hip flexors, our glutes, our glutes need to be working. So generally, I'll be like, get get it down below your waistband, below your waistband, below your waistband. And it'll take, it might take five or six times. I'll be like, lower, 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 lower. Okay, there, that's where it is. There. This is kind of down on the, the area I'm not supposed to be talking about. But ha, it's like, yeah, that's where it needs to be. Get it across your hip flexors there, Les, and let's, our, let's get our glutes working. Yeah, right. I've heard that one before. That's a great power tip. There you go. Yeah. Definitely be using that. Yeah, it's a little bit like any, like, say... I would do some bad jumps and things as well. Like, you know, just same again, get the green band or purple band, attach them to the fence at the side of the pitch, put it down around the waist. You just jump as high as you can, but you're you're being pulled back by the band. So you really have to force those hips forward. You have to drive them against the band. But again, if I have the band up along my, my belly button, then it's I'm overloading my spinal directors and nothing else. Get it right down my hip factors. My glutes have to do all the work. Moving into sort of, I guess, more final questions, mate. In your work life, do you have any pet peeves? When it comes to accelerations and sprint training, or just in the industry overall, anything that makes you angry? And in general, themes that run through it anyway. Uh, for me, my work life pet peeves is just trying to find weekends and free time to get this stuff done. <laughs> but you know, and then in Ireland, I suppose the the weather is the issue. But uh, no, I suppose it's the only thing is you know trying to get trying to find the most effective solutions for this sort of stuff when you're working with with bigger groups. It's probably the hardest part, especially on the track when you've got guys who are who are super athletes, and it's really really minutia you're looking for. Trying to find that time to, to work with every alley and give them their best is, it can be tricky. And I suppose it's not necessarily a pet peeve, but it's just something that I'd like to probably get better at myself and get more effective at is, is providing that really key feedback. Or it might be not giving them no feedback at all, letting them figure it out for themselves, but it's just figuring out those ways to, to serve the athlete's best is always is always the, the challenge. What about favorite way to spend a day off? Like you mentioned, time is limited. When you do get one, what do you like to do? Oh, I like to do very little. I like to sit on my backside a lot of the time and just chill out. But I suppose that I, I, I live a couple of hours from my family as well, so I like to get down and see my family and uh, see my, my nieces and nephews. My sister lives near the beach as well. It's, it's four, nearly four hours from where I am here, but it's it's paradise up there when the weather is good, which isn't that often, but when it is good, it's 
it's like been in a different world so yeah i like helping the current spin it up to them chilling them for a while but generally i like to just unwind and switch off and try not to yeah. think about track and field or performance for a day if i get the chance recharge the batteries yeah and we're recording this in the first of june so sort of middle part of 2023 what's on the horizon for you joe that you're most excited about yeah so track season's just kicking off here for the summer track and field so our our, our training group as i said are, are starting to line out the last couple of weeks and it's gonna be a big summer we'll have guys and girls in the european under 20s and under 23s who'll be kind of pushing towards medals and then the world like championships are in budapest in august and we should hopefully have two or three Guys and girls go to that as well. Uh, like I said, the two in Tokyo, the Olympics, and then the, the girl who went on that relay went to the Worlds last year with another one of our guys slotted in on the relay when the other guy was injured. So we we're lucky enough to have some already made replacement there for them. So hopefully those three guys will be going to the World Championships especially and we'll be looking towards big performances and PBs on the track all around, yeah. Absolutely. Well, all the best with, with the rest of the season. Thank you so much for, for jumping on and sharing with us some your experiences, some stories, but of course, some practical tips, both for athletes and high-performance coaches. I really appreciate your time. For those that have any follow-up questions for you, Jared, is it where's the best place to get in contact? Yeah, probably Twitter or Instagram, uh, probably the easiest. I, I, I deleted my Instagram during our first lockdown here. I was just fed up, but then I, I set up a new one because kind of, I had to have one basically as a coach. So I have one there and I, I don't really use it too extensively in terms of posts and stuff, but I do put up a lot of stories from training and stuff here and there. So it's just my name, Jared underscore OD and yep, or yeah, Jared underscore OD underscore, I think on both Instagram and Twitter. And you know, if, even if I'm not, if I'm not posting too regularly, I'll be there to, to reply to you. And if you have any questions or want to give me a shout on anything. For sure. Yeah, well, we'll add the links, both Instagram and Twitter, in the show notes. And for, for those that have tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the very start. We dive straight into the, the practical tips for from the first minute. So this will live on our YouTube channel until we release it in three weeks' time. And our next live chat will be Thursday, the 8th of June with John Kylie. They'll be at 4 p.m. Australian Standard Time. So I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, Joe. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at 
at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever, as an S&C coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.